0: Well, if you would take out the word of God and turn to Acts chapter four, I was asked today that um, in light of today being such a special day in our culture, if the sermon was going to be different today, uh, the sermon will be a little different, uh, but I can't help it that the Daytona 500 is today. I have no idea how I'm supposed to preach a sermon about that. So go fast for Jesus. Um, Anyway, we do hope everyone has a great Valentine's Day, Uh, but we're going to be in Acts chapter four and we're going to continue a series uh, that we are um, where we are unpacking what we're talking about when we talk about discipleship here at Ashland. And so we're going to move through. Uh, A series of weeks where we unpack that and what that will look like in your life. Everyone who's a member here Uh, on the screen, you'll see our essentials uh, that we talk about every week. We talk about our essential hub, what it looks like to be a part of Ashland Church. Uh, We want everyone here following Christ. We want everyone here uh, who's to be a member of the church. Uh, We want everyone here to be engaged in worship. Uh, We don't want everyone to be on a black screen um, uh, with nothingness. There it is. Uh, And so you'll see that there. Uh, We talk about that every week, uh, small groups serving. uh, And we're going to add some things uh, over the next few weeks that we're going to call extra, uh, which is, I don't know, we don't have a better name for it just yet, uh, but an equipped discipleship plan for every member here. Uh, We want everyone here engaged in knowing God, studying God through theology, uh, engaged in Bible study and spiritual disciplines. And we're going to try to unpack how that works out in uh, light of our essentials. Uh, But as I said earlier, the sermon is going to be a little bit different. We're going to have to just dive right into this chapter because we're going to go through the whole chapter uh, today. And so uh, before we do that, I just want to unpack where we are in this series Uh, Last week, we gave you the definition discipleship is following Jesus as witnesses in the local church by seeking to know Jesus according to his word, which we apply our lives to in light of the gospel. And we're going to unpack that in the weeks to come. Last week, Eric talked about following Christ. The call to follow Christ is to deny ourselves, our whole self and take up our cross and follow after him. Meaning we identify so much with Christ We're willing to die with Christ. And so the question is, what does that look like today? In our life today, what does that call look like? Well, the book of Acts unpacks that for us. Uh, What we have called witnesses and what we describe as witnesses here. We have a whole manual about what it means to be a witness for Christ. But in Acts one eight. Jesus promises that the Spirit would come upon those who believe in Him, His followers, those who are following after Him. The Spirit would indwell them to witness, to bear witness, to tell the truth, to testify that He is back from the dead, that He is King, He is Lord. And what's interesting about the word witness, it's actually the word martyr. The word martyr just means to tell the truth, to bear witness. To testify. But we associate that with dying for our faith. And why do we do that? Because those who follow after Christ take up their cross. They deny themselves and they are ready to die for Jesus. And we witness the truth of the gospel in that way. And in the book of Acts we see how the power of the Spirit empowers us to do that. How the power of the Spirit, the promise of eternal life lives within us. But what we see in the book of Acts is we're not just individual witnesses who are following Christ. The church is the witness. And we see that in Acts chapter 4. If you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. I'm going to read verses 31 through 33. And then we're going to just, I told you it's going to be a little bit different today. We're going to jump right into the text. It's going to take a lot of work today to get through this on time. Pull out your Bible. One of the beautiful things, I told you it wasn't going to take so much time, but... One of the beautiful things about our church is so often I look up from here and I don't see your faces, I see the top of your heads It's because you're, you're in the word and that today's going to be a day where we have to to dig through the word to get through with this. So Acts chapter four, verse thirty one. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said anything, or no one said that any of these things that belonged to Him was His own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. Oh, God, we want to be those people who testify by the power of your spirit no matter what. We want to we want to fill the power of your spirit as we declare Jesus is Lord, even if it cost us our life. Whatever it cost us in this time in history, whatever it means for us, we want to boldly follow Jesus as witnesses together as your local church. May we see what that looks like today. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You see it. In chapter 3 of Acts, we see Peter and John. And they're, they're headed to the temple and they're headed to worship. And they come across a man who has not walked his whole life. He is a beggar at the temple. And week after week, day after day, he goes to the temple and he is begging for money. And the apostles look down and they heal him in the name of Jesus. And as a crowd gathers around, they begin to declare... Not that they brought restoration to this man, but that Jesus did. The man who was killed on a cross is back from the dead and he is still moving and he is still working. And that's what the whole book of Acts is about. But as they are declaring this truth, notice verse 1 of chapter 4, as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, notice they, they are greatly annoyed And they they rush in. They hear the commotion outside of the temple. People are gathering around. And then they see these two men standing up preaching the gospel. And they run out of the building, freaking out, greatly annoyed. Notice, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And notice what they do. They arrested them. And they put them in custody until the next day, for it was evening. They're going to put this off until tomorrow. But notice who's present there, the Sadducees. And we've talked about these men in the book of Mark. They were the theological liberals of the day. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They were also lawyers who were brought in to charge these men. And they're there to indict them. Notice, not just for inciting a disruption but because they were teaching the resurrection. Now, they didn't believe in the resurrection, but notice they're teaching the resurrection from the dead in Jesus. You see, they hated the idea of resurrection, but they are furious at the idea of resurrection in the name of Jesus. Why? Because these men took part in killing Jesus. And if He's back from the dead, they're in trouble. Notice as the text continues, but many of those who had heard the word believed. They hear this message. Jesus is back. The one who died on the cross. He is risen from the dead. If you believe in Him, you can have your sins forgiven and you can live with Him forever. And they believe the message. And notice the text continues. And the number of the men came to 5,000. Now sometimes we have to stop and think and wrap our head around what that would look like. These ragtag fishermen... Former tax collectors preaching the gospel. And thousands of people are flocking to this group of people in Jerusalem and throughout. And to this point, it's probably 10,000 Christians in total. And so we move through the book of Acts, we see a great church growth strategy. And it is called preach Jesus, get arrested, you are sent. Or you are sent to preach Jesus and get arrested. And people flock to the church. Can you imagine the conversation? That cultish group of people, they have those psychedelic prayer meetings, weird flames of tongue over their head. A couple of them have now been thrown in jail. And our family is thinking about joining next Sunday. We have a membership interview with one of the former tax collectors. But this was the strategy throughout the book of Acts. Preach the gospel no matter what. What we're talking about. Witness. The Spirit empowers them to witness in the face of opposition, which is what we see in verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. They're bringing in the big shots. They're bringing in everyone to charge these two fishermen. Can you imagine a city shutting down because of two fishermen preaching conspiracy theories? Notice verse 6 with Annas. The high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, all were who, of, who were of the high priestly family. Now this was the good old boy network of religious leaders. You had Annas was the most influential Jew of the day. And his whole family gathers there. All of the big shots. Caiaphas, he was the longest tenured high priest of the day, which meant he was associated with killing Jesus. And so now they bring them all back in. In the name of Jesus, we have got more trouble. Verse 7. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? How did you heal this man? And by the way, stop saying Jesus. Because if you will just say, We've got to get you on record. We've got to get you on record. For saying this is just some hocus pocus, this is just you're just sort of wizard prophets. But you can you got to stop saying Jesus. We we were a part of killing him, so stop saying he's back from the dead. Okay, let's ask you again: What power? By what power did you do this? Don't say his name. And notice Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them: Now remember Acts one eight. Filled with the Spirit. What do you do when you're filled with the Spirit? You speak. Witness. That's that's to be filled with the Spirit. is to speak and to say Jesus is Lord. And it happens in the face of opposition. The Spirit is the presence of the kingdom who lives within a believer and He knows He can't lose. So He declares rulers and people and elders. Everybody in. Everybody huddle up. If we're being examined today concerning a good deed, which how funny is that? How hilarious is that? We healed a man and now we're arrested. A good deed done to a crippled man. By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to you, to all of you and to all the people of Israel. Now, think about Peter's story. The man who denied Jesus. I ain't backing down this time. I'm not compromising this time, and I want everybody in. Hold on, everybody, pay attention. Everybody, look, because I want to be very clear who I'm talking about. I don't, I don't want any confusion here. You want to know who healed this man? Notice he says, "By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth." I want, but Peter says, "I want to get it all in." Jesus, the Savior, Christ, the Messiah, God's King who saves his people, the guy from Nazareth, notice, whom you crucified, whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead, by him this man is standing before you. And that's the heart of the problem. Because they opposed Jesus, God raised him up. And that's their problem. You oppose the Messiah, you oppose the Savior. You oppose God's King. And yet God raised His King up. And Peter says here, I want to be extra clear what Jesus' is. When you go looking through the phone book, I'm going to tell you exactly what Jesus to find. Some of you don't even know what a phone book is. When you go looking on Facebook, I'm going to give you His first, second, and last name. I'm going to give you all His titles. The Savior King of Nazareth. The Nazarene, Galilean, hillbilly, who you crucified on a cross, that's the one who healed this man. Now this is so important because we, we think here, well, he's doing it in Jesus' honor. That's not what he's saying. And this isn't. This would have been like to these political, religious leaders saying, Saddam Hussein healed this man. Osama bin Laden healed this man. Hitler, who's dead, he healed this man. That's what it would have felt like to them. Jesus was the villain who they all hated. All of the religious leaders hated Him. And they hated His name. And, and Peter says, you want us to say we're some amazing wizardly prophets with some generic force? That ain't what went on. Th- this is more than just putting in memory of Dale on, your, on the back of your truck. Because what, what Peter is saying is this ain't in memory of him. Jesus did it. The guy who's supposed to be dead in the ground is the one that healed the man. We're just his instruments. But it's the power of Jesus who did it. And notice verse 11 this Jesus, there, I said it again, is the stone that was rejected by you, by you, the builders. You're supposed to be the religious leaders of the day, you know the Bible. You know what God has said. You know the stories. You know the histories. You're in charge of this thing. You're to be the builders, but you crucified Him. You rejected the stone, which has become the cornerstone. And He says, there is salvation, there is deliverance in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What Peter says is God sent in the cornerstone, the foundation block of his house, his temple, the one with which God is going to rebuild the world, rebuild his kingdom. And you took the cornerstone and you threw it in the dumpster like a broken down brick. That's what you did. But guess what? That fit perfectly into God's plans. Because when you killed him. He purchased forgiveness of sins for His people. When He was raised up from the dead, He he enters into this new creation that all of His people will be a part of when He will raise them from the dead. you, You actually played a part through your rage and your violence into God's sovereign plan to save His people because there's no one else who can save God's people but Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It is in His name. And one of the things Peter is pointing out to these men is we're being charged for killing a crippled man or for healing a crippled man. And, and you, in your spiritual unhealthiness, you are crippled spiritually. You killed the son of God. You, you crushed God's foundation stone. Notice verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter, again, this is the power of the spirit. This is where the spirit leads. Boldness, Peter and John. And they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. They, they hear Peter preaching this way and they go, Whoa, you're a fisherman. You, you, you can't hardly talk right. You're uneducated. You're, look at the calluses on your hand. That's all you know. And you're up here pontificating theology about the Messiah? Notice... They were shocked and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They, they remember people are noticing those are the fishermen walking along the Sea of Galilee with that Jesus. Yep, that's them. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Th- these are not professional theologians. But how do you argue about a man who wasn't walking, but now he's walking? What else are we going to say? Verse 15. When they commanded them to leave the council, they conferred to one another. Can you imagine that moment? Okay, 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 we have nothing else to say to you. And they're just really angry. Get out! And then they look at one another. What in the world are we going to do? Because we can't be against lame people walking. If we make an announcement that these are criminals, they killed somebody. What are we going to do? Just because they're saying it in the name of Jesus? So what do we do with these men? Notice verse 16, for that a notable sign has been performed through them. It is evident we can't argue about it. All the inhabitants of Jerusalem are talking about it. Verse 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Tell them to stop. No, tell them to stop again. But tell them to stop again. No. Let's go on a a campaign, social media campaign. Hashtag stop it. Everybody, stop talking about Jesus. We don't want to hear that name anymore. And you see, they're just flustered and they're frustrated, staring into the boldness of the Spirit, verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak and teach at all in the name of Jesus. And so Peter and John said, Yes, sir, we'll go back. We'll shut things down. We won't meet anymore. We won't preach anymore. Absolutely not. Verse 19. But Peter and John answered, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Now, y'all are religious folks. The basics of religion, you should obey God and not man, right? Well, we ain't going to obey you. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Can you imagine, Peter? Peter, I have seen a former corpse. I've had breakfast with a man back from the dead. And you're telling me to stop talking about him? That's stupid. That's idiocy. We're going to keep talking about what we've seen and we've heard. And so verse 21, when they had further threatened them. No, 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 stop it. You stop it. No, really stop it. We're not going to stop. No, you've got to stop. Okay, you can go. I'm glad you see things our way. They found no way to punish them because the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. He never walked. They have no argument there. Now notice, first point, took a while to get here. The controversy surrounds the testimony Jesus is Lord. So when we talk about discipleship here That's where we've got to get to witnessing the gospel no matter what. That's what it means to 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 deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus. That's what it means for the Christian today is to witness the gospel no matter what in the face of opposition, to be bold and courageous with the gospel, to say, I have seen. A cross on which the Savior died for my sins. I have seen a man back from the dead who promises me eternity. I've seen it in His Word. I know Him according to His Word. And so I'm going to declare His name according to His Word. That is the heart of discipleship in the Christian life. Is to witness the Gospel. It's who we are. It's what we do. And you're sitting here today and you say, You're comparing that with dying for Jesus? That's what it means to die with Jesus. Well, when's the last time you shared the gospel? That immediately tells us that we still have that fear and intimidation. And it's just something that's really hard for us to do is to speak up and talk about Jesus. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow him. That's what discipleship looks like. But there is hope in this story. There is hope. Think about Peter. Peter. Think about Peter. Jesus is, being, uh, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to Jerusalem to be crucified by the elders there. And what does Peter immediately do? No, 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 no. God forbid. Peter was a fisherman. He probably used profanity in rebuking Jesus. You ain't doing that. We're not going to Jerusalem and you're not going to die. I will use a sword to defend you. And that's exactly what he did. When they came to arrest... Jesus, the soldiers come, they put him in cuffs. What does Peter do? He pulls out a sword and he hacks a soldier's ear off. No, this is not the way the kingdom is coming. And it's Jesus is being tortured and killed. People are walking up and going, oh, no, no, don't you know him? Don't you know Jesus of Nazareth? You were with him. Even people in this story know that Peter was with him. I never knew him. I never knew him. I never knew him. And he backs down and he's scared and he's fearful and he denies Jesus. Doesn't that give you hope when you read this story? The man known for denying Jesus before the sun came up? Peter? is now standing before, th- I mean, thousands of people, hundreds of religious leaders, the political authorities, the government says, stop it, you'll be arrested. And Peter says, I'm not backing down this time. So what changed? Acts 1-8 happened. The spirit of the resurrected Christ is on peter and so he is declaring the gospel this is the purpose this is the power of the spirit in our life and here's the reality as you think about discipleship in your own life the word discipleship in the church for a lot of us means bible study prayer fasting spiritual disciplines it means those things and that's all it means listen satan is perfectly fine with you showing up for church reading your bible and praying and never sharing the gospel He doesn't care if you're not talking about Jesus. He doesn't. Evangelism and witnessing the gospel is not one of the spiritual disciplines. It is the culmination of all spiritual disciplines. Because when you know God in the Bible, and when you know Him in prayer, and when you have fasted and longed for His coming when you are working out your salvation with fear and trembling and you are living before Him in holiness and godliness and you know it's only by the power of His Spirit that you're following after Him, you can't help but talk about Him. It's not going to be something that just goes on in your prayer closet. Because that's not the way life works, is it? Things that we love and we cultivate in our life and we study and we give ourselves over to, we talk about we 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 talk about how horrible the basketball cats are and great the Tennessee basketballs are sorry 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 it's a joke but we talk about things that we're passionate about right we 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 why we give ourselves over to those things and so The work of the spirit in your life is if you are engaged in spiritual discipline, theology, studying the Bible, all of those things, you're going to naturally talk about Jesus. The sort of keyboard courage that some of us have where you won't look someone in the eyes in public, but you'll get on that computer and and let people have it. That sort of boldness that you have, the power of the spirit gives you that boldness to talk about Jesus in real life. Not the video game version. And with the same sort of unashamed uh, reaction that we have when we talk about politics or we're arguing with the ump when our kid gets thrown out at first and, and we just, we just whoa, that can't happen. Shouldn't be that way. This, someone harnessed by the Spirit who knows and is walking with the Spirit when the opportunity is there, they talk about Jesus in the same way. Discipleship involves witness. And what we want to do as a church, we want to get to the point where we know Jesus in His Word. We are studying the Word of God and we are applying our lives to it. So we are so equipped, we get there. Verse 23. And when they released them, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priest and elders had said to them. They go back to their local church. They hold a congregational meeting and they begin to report on their evangelism efforts. And they say, well, we preached the gospel. We healed a man, by the way. Wow, we healed a man. That's big news, right? But we got to rest it for it. We preach the gospel again. Thousands, Thousands and thousands of more people are believing the gospel. Every time we preach the gospel, thousands of people believe. We're going to need some new BFG leaders. This thing's getting out of control. But we're facing persecution. So, what do they do in the face of persecution? They pull out the scriptures and they begin to worship. Interesting, they don't go into hiding. Interesting, we're being persecuted. Let's go have worship service. And they get into Psalm 2 here. And they begin to sing. It says, verse 24, when they lifted their voices together, when they heard what was going on, they responded in worship of one accord, one mind. The word means harmony. They are bound together in this. And they are bound together in their worship. Notice, Sovereign Lord... King, Master, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in it. Our Creator, our Lord. Notice, you've told us how this story goes. Verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David and your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? They go back to Psalm 2 that David wrote when David was hiding away, scared. People were raging against David. And he writes these words, verse 26. Why do kings set themselves and rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed? They're trying to understand why are people against us? Because they've always been against the Lord's anointing. And the anointing of the Lord is in the church, so it's natural the nations are going to rage against the church. Notice verse 27 For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people to do whatever Your hand had planned and had predestined to take place. God, You cut out this path for Your Savior and the nations raged against Him in the city of Jerusalem. And and here's the point. Why should we expect any different? Remember, Jesus promised them, if they hate Me, they're going to hate You too. And so they open up to the Psalms and they say the nations hate it God's king back, back then, David. Now the presence of the king is with us, so they're going to hate us too, verse 29. And now the Lord, and now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servant to continue to speak your word with all boldness. What do they do? God, keep us safe. Keep us comfortable. Don't let any bad things happen to us. No, this is the way the story goes. This is the way. Preach the gospel. Be persecuted. So obedience here is to be bold. And we need your help to be courageous to declare the truth of the gospel. And notice he continues. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus, we're going to move forward and you're going to see signs. You're going to see wonders. God's going to open up a window in the kingdom to show you a kingdom without sin, without death, that you will live forever. And as God does these amazing things, God, please help us to be bold and courageous, to point to Jesus, to keep pointing to Jesus. We will be arrested. We will be killed for this. Give us boldness. That is our prayer. Not safety, but boldness. Now, where do they get the boldness? Here's the point. They get the boldness and courage by seeing their lives in light of the bigger story. That's what it means to study your Bible, by the way. Is to see your life in light of a bigger story. It's not to take the Word of God and apply it to your life. It's to take my life and apply it to God's Word. And where are we in the story? Well, the church here... They know where they are. God's God's kings have always been opposed. David, Jesus, now we're the present. We're going to be opposed. But they know where they are. Because they know that a gruesome instrument of torture could not stop Jesus. They know Jesus is back from the dead and Jesus has promised to raise them from the dead. That's where they are in the story. So we can't lose God. To apply our lives to your story in this moment by your spirit. We have the spirit to declare the truth. We can't lose. Jesus is coming back. We'll rule and reign with him forever. Help us apply our lives to your story right now. That's what it means to study the Bible, to read the Bible, to know the Bible, is to apply your life to his story. And that's what they're praying for in worship. That's what their worship service was about. And so that's why they pray. For boldness. Because they know Jesus isn't losing. The political leaders are going to lose. All of the nations are going to lose. Jesus isn't going to lose. So give us boldness. Notice the text. Grant us grace and the privilege. To side with Jesus. And to preach the gospel. Because when we do that we can't lose. My story without Jesus ends. In a casket. Lowered into the ground. And without Jesus... It ends in eternal hell. That's where my story ends. So I don't want to just apply Jesus to my story. No, I know Jesus' story is an empty tomb. So I want to be in His story. And I know Jesus' story is raised forever ruling. So I want to be in His story. God, give me the wisdom to apply my life to His story. His story ends with empty grave plots and us ruling forever. It's better than any sci-fi, comic book, Netflix, something you could binge today when you go home. That didn't come out like I wanted it, but you get the point. That's the story you're in. But do you show up here and act like it's a fairy tale? Or when you show up here today, you look around this room and you say, isn't this amazing? But the resurrected Jesus is still moving here. I still see it. I'm still a part of it. I still hear about it all around the world. He's still moving. Give me the grace to apply my life to his story. And notice they don't pray for ease. They pray for grit. And that's got to be some of our prayers. It's going to be hard to stand for Jesus. Give me the Grit. Give me the grace to do it. And you know every time that you've stood up and you've shared the gospel with someone, you've built a relationship and you've told them about Jesus and you've displayed the gospel as a witness, you know how great that feels. Because you're doing the right thing. You're doing what God designed you to do. And even as a church, we know the end of the story. We're in the story of a resurrected king. It also means as a church, we have to do some things that are risky sometimes. And we got to go to some hard, dangerous places for the sake of the gospel. Why? No, the question is, why not? We, we win in the end. Jesus has already told us the end of the story. Notice verse 31. And when they had prayed in the place they were gathered together, it was shaken. Now, why is that going on? And why has that not happened here today yet? Play the music. It's just it's not good enough. We're not shaking this place. Hashtag more miles. Drone. No, this is a tangible sign from Jesus that this is my authority in the world. My authority and my power is in the church. And so he shakes the place. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice, it wasn't, people didn't leave worship that day going, wow, it was amazing. We were literally shaking the place in worship. No, they left and they just told more people about Jesus because they were emboldened with his authority and his power. And notice verse 32 and the number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, fellowship. They were joined together on this mission. And no one said any any of these things, any, I can't say that today. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They weren't hoarding to themselves. It was all up for grabs for the sake of the mission. But they had everything in common. That's actually the word that we get fellowship, sharing together. Verse 33. with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Again, All of this leads to testimony declaring and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles feet and they gave it to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, if we want to be honest, that sounds like some cultist, socialistic, religious commune. That's weird. The reality is, they weren't saying you have to give up everything to be a part of the church. What was happening in the church is as people said, I'm a follower of Christ. They were losing their job. They were losing their family. They were left with nothing. And those who identified with Christ said, oh, we gotta, we got to pour the resources together to help one another because we're all bound together on this mission. And so we got to make sure no one has need. And it was mission oriented. It wasn't just some weird cultish offering. It was we're on mission together. And so we give what, what the mission costs and what the mission needs. But one of the things we see here at the end is following Jesus is a call by the Spirit to do something you can't do alone. And that's what you can't do discipleship alone. If discipleship leads to mission, you can't do that alone. You can't do it without the power of the Spirit. And we're going to be cowards. And we're going to be weak, and we're not going to share the gospel unless we're tapping into the power of the Spirit. And we're also going to be ineffective if we're alone. We're not working together on this mission. Notice how the text moves to these crazy miracles to a guy named Barnabas. Do do you see the progression? All these amazing things, and then there's just a guy in the church. And what does that guy do? Whatever it takes for the sake of the gospel. And the church is bound together literally in fellowship. That's why I hear fellowship has mean more than just liking to be around one another. I like you. We gather together. We have potlucks, Cajun hoopla's, ice cream socials, and we, it's got to be more than that. At the heart of it all has got to be the mission. And I'm going to deny myself, take up my cross, and give whatever it takes for us as a church to accomplish our mission Not so we can be safe and comfortable. Not so we can have nice things. No, so we can get the gospel to the ends of the earth. I'm going to give whatever it takes. That's what discipleship is going to look like in our lives here at Ashland Church. So as we think about that, I want to ask you a few questions to end. You thought, whoa, we're over. I didn't think it was was going to be longer than that. Still got a little bit of ways to go. If you think about discipleship, following Jesus as witnesses in the local church. I want to ask you this. How will you follow Jesus this week? How will you deny yourself, take up your cross and witness the gospel? How will you seek to do that? Maybe for some of you this week, it means to strategize your summer. Maybe you don't take three trips to the beach or maybe you don't take the fourth trip. Maybe you say, no, we're going to plan to go to New Orleans. We're going to get with Eric and we're going to take a family trip to New Orleans for the sake of the gospel. Because I want my kids to see that. So I'm going to sacrifice something. I'm going to deny something so that they can see that this summer. Maybe you work some overtime this week. You don't have to. I don't have to do that. I don't need the extra money. But maybe you work overtime this week so you can give money so others can go this summer. Maybe you deny yourself something. Maybe you deny yourself extra Starbucks. Don't deny yourself Purdy's, deny yourself Starbucks. (laughs) Maybe you sacrifice time. Maybe Maybe you see the snows coming in. I'm going to Netflix and chill all week. Maybe you say no. I'm going to invite someone over tonight so they get snowed in and they're stuck at my house so I had to share them share the gospel with them all week. They can't leave. Now maybe open your house, pray and study. How will you follow Jesus this week? How will you follow Jesus as a witness this week? We want to be very specific. If you claim to have the power of the Spirit within you, maybe you say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to corner my roommate. They've been ignoring me. We're going to sit down. They can't go anywhere. And I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. Or maybe that, maybe that high school friend who's just looking in on your life and they're fascinated with your commitment to Christ and they keep reaching out to you and you're thinking, why in the world, why don't they leave me alone? Well, I'll tell you why they're reaching out to you because want, God wants you to tell them about Jesus. Maybe you just say, okay, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be courageous by the power of the Spirit and I'm going to talk to them about Jesus this week. Your co-worker who thinks your commitment to Christ is a little bit cultish. Maybe you're going to sit down and talk with him about the grace and mercy and goodness of God. You can't help but follow Jesus. No, write down someone you're going to share the gospel with this week. Maybe it's your neighbor who you've talked to about everything in the world since the pandemic began. You talk about lockdowns. You talk about masks. You talk about conspiracy theories. And you've yet to talk to them about Jesus maybe just write their name down today and i'm going to tell them about jesus and say we've talked about a lot of things so i know you like to talk. and so now we're going to talk about jesus just do it i've never done that in my life where i've regretted it ever even the times where i've stepped out and said okay i'm just going to do it here we go i'm going to tell you about jesus and it went badly it went really badly it doesn't always go great it's not always happily ever after. But every time I've even walked away from those conversations, I've been thankful that I did it. Because so that's what the Spirit's calling us to do. How will you follow Jesus as a witness in the local church this week? How will you follow Jesus? How will you follow Jesus as a witness? How will we follow Jesus together? I want to challenge you this year to give yourself over to something you can't do alone. That's what it means to be a witness in the church. is You can't. You can't do it alone. Maybe it's sharing the gospel as we've talked about. And you know if left to yourself, you're going to back down. You're going to cower away so you seek accountability of others. You send to your BFG today. I want to share the gospel with this person. Hold me accountable. And you know you can't do it alone. You need the local church. Maybe you have a heart for someone in your life. Their life is really, really messy. And you know if you step into that. It's going to cost you a lot of time. It's going to cost you a lot of resources, but you're going to do it anyway. And maybe you recruit your BFG. Maybe you recruit your church and friends to help you step into this person's life. Maybe it's a young lady who's contemplating an abortion. Maybe it's someone in your life who is addicted to drugs. And this week you've been saying, I I don't have time for that. But today you say, no, I'm going to step into that situation in the name of Jesus. But, you know, you can't do it alone. So you're going to have to have us help you. Do something you can't do alone. Maybe it's travel to a very dangerous place. We got a list of those places for you. We'll send you there. You can't tell us we sent you, but you, you can go. Maybe it's praying. People in your BFG, students who share the gospel. They can't do it alone. Talking to an annoying co-worker. You don't really want to talk to them. You share their name with your BFGs. share your name with others. Maybe you have a hard-to-reach people in an area of the world and you know you will never go. You can't go. But you're going to begin recruiting folks around here who will go. Make a plan. Sit down and strategize and do something for the sake of the gospel that you can't do alone. That you need others to help you with and I, I often pray, as I think about this church, I, I look around this room and I just think what what might God do with us if we took this seriously, which I believe most people here do take it very seriously. We we plan things like there, the, yesterday was the, the women's uh, Bible study conference and people were asking me, you know, should we still have it? It's cold. It's icy. I said, do you know how crazy the women of our church are? We have over 50 women in here studying the Bible yesterday and they're sliding all over the parking lot and we got some insurance claims we've got to take care of. And... But you fo- for the most part, you folks are crazy for the sake of the gospel. You'll do whatever it takes. How might God use us if we started sharing the gospel? How, how might God use this church if we really denied ourselves, took up our cross, as witnesses together follow Jesus. Let's go home today praying and dreaming about that. Let's go home planning to be a part of that.